So here we go. Now, in the context of awakening, we've said this. God wants to awaken his, and, and she, yes. Yeah, she's going to come sit down. Yeah, that's so sweet. Everybody say, oh, yeah, that's so sweet. Okay, Christian, you can next to Aunt Becky then, all right? So now, now in the context of our life, we said God wants to awaken us. Like God wants to awaken, as we said, from this, this perspective of, of being self-focused and this, this focus on self. We said by nature as human beings, we see it in Israel, I mean, that they're so focused on self. God's carried them into captivity. Why? Because he loves them. He's, he's disciplining them because they have taken their focus and their affections off of their covenant marriage relationship with God. And so he says, I want to awaken you to the fact that you will no longer have me as your number one. You're no longer primarily rooted in our relationship. You've been cheating on me. So I'm going to discipline you because I love you to awaken you to the fact that you've turned away and you're actually walking down a path that will destroy you. That's just what happens. Anytime you cheat on your spouse, it ruins your relationship. And they're ruining the relationship with their great lover, God. And so God, out of his great mercy and out of his kindness, disciplines them and brings them into captivity in Babylon. In Jeremiah chapter 29, go read it for yourself, right? And he wants to, and the whole idea is he wants to awaken them to where their eyes have been. And he now wants to root them again in relationship with him. And then in rooting them in their relationship with him, he just wants them to be passionate and compassionate about the things that he is passionate and compassionate about. Like, you know how it works. Those of you who have parents and those of you who are parents. If mom is passionate about it, well, by God, dad better be. All right. And then vice versa. Right? I mean, Randall's not passionate about bass fishing on her own, but she is right now because I am, right? No, whatever we're passionate about, whatever is on our hearts becomes with the spouse. The idea that two, miraculously, by the spirit of God, become one. And then what's important to the one must become important to the other. So God simply saying, all right, so I'm awakening to the fact of what's on my heart. And I want to give you a compassion and a passion for what is going on in my heart and in my life. And so in that, he says, I want to bring you into Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. All of us understand how passion and compassion work, right? You're doing life. You meet somebody. And they are super passionate about some sort of social issue going on in the world today. And when you get with them, what happens? Every conversation somewhere along the way begins to turn toward, somewhere in the conversation turns to what they're passionate about. And let's just be honest, sometimes you get annoyed Right? Like, oh, there we go again. They're jumping on the bandwagon, right? They're jumping up there on the, the, the pedestal and start preaching at me for a minute. And then they get done like, ah, oh, yeah. And you kind of like the hell, like, yeah, it's great thing, right? Because when some, listen, when someone is awakened, 
to what they're passionate, when they're awakened with compassion, then they are captured by it and their passion just comes out wherever they go, whether you like it or not. Here's the deal. Eight and a half years ago when we started Vintage, I really honestly couldn't have told you much about foster care. I wasn't passionate about it. It was nowhere on my radar screen. And I thought kids were great, but I wasn't thinking about them. I wasn't thinking, I had no idea there was a crisis going on in America and across the nation. I didn't know. And the four and a half, five and a half years ago, all of a sudden, what happened? I had a moment of awakening, didn't I? Vintage had a moment of awakening. And all of a sudden, this crisis that was out there, all of a sudden, we're awakened to, and now there's a, a compassion with these at-risk children. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when God wakes you up to something that he is passionate about and gives you a compassion, then ignorance is no longer an option. And so in this, I, ha- I no longer have an ignorance. I'm like, duh. And all of a sudden, what happens? I have a compassion. And then it leads me to a passion. And some of you are sitting there going, oh, we're talking about foster care one more time. That's great. No, seriously, God forgive me. <laughs> right? Because we talk about it. Because we believe it. Because we love it. Why? Because God loves it. And he loves that risk children. He wants to bring them into a safe family. And so the idea, you see this picture. He awakens us. Whoa. He gives us a compassion for a situation or a person. And then ultimately in time, it leads then we to own this, which then leads to action. And so what we find is in a greater sense, in a greater level, like a deeper level in the story of Jeremiah, we see God awakening people from their own selfish needs to a compassion. First, a passion for God, but then he wants to lead them again to a passion and the compassion of his heart. For this needy, at-risk, and lost people who were living in Babylon. They were focused on self. Listen, they were focused on self. They were, they were, they were passionate about self. And when they had conversations, do you know, like, like this, you can only turn a conversation back to self. And that's what they're doing here. It's defining their life. And he wants them to be passionate about the lost. He wants them to be passionate about those who are far from him. And to turn primary conversation and attention first to their love for God. And then secondarily to, their, to, to loving with compassion and with passion their neighbors that he has brought them into relationship with in Babylon. So this morning we're going to dive into this. We're going to begin by looking at, again at the story of Jeremiah 29, but specifically looking at the story behind verses 8 and 9. Jeremiah 29, verses 8 and 9 says this. Yes, Jeremiah speaking. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name I have not sent them, declares the Lord. All right. So a reminder from last week. Hey, focus in. Focus in. Israel does not want to be in Babylon. They don't want to be there. I wasn't. How many of you have ever seen the Red Dawn? Whether it's like the Patrick Swayze or the Chris Helmsworth back in the day, right? Like, this is an important movie. 
Right? You've got like Red Dawn, Wolverines. Remember that, right? You've got these, you've got this, this like small city, small town like USA, and all of a sudden you've got the commies, right? The Russians invade over here in the 80s, and then it's terrorists who invade us over here in the 2000s, right? And, and they invade this small town, they take it over, they take people captive, and then all the cool high schoolers, right? They go off into the mountains, they create a rebellion, they somehow find guns and become amazing people for the army, and they like destroy this like whole like terrible people, right? It's been the like, Wolverines is the cry, and I remember watching this like 15 times going, man, that'd be awesome. And terrible, and I could never do that, right? But like, it was just like, yeah. And so that's what's happened. Israel's hanging out. Israel's doing their thing. Israel's doing life. Israel's going to work. Israel's over here hanging out, worshiping. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the commies, right? All of a sudden, you've got the, the Babylonians come into town and take over, burn the town, burn everything down, destroy homes, and take people off. Red Dawn's happened, Jeremiah 29. And they're not happy. How many of you would love that happen today? Nobody. So Red Dawn's happened. They're not happy. Because in this Babylon throughout Scripture, honestly, is represented as the epitome of a civilization built on selfishness, built on pride, and built on violence. Biblically speaking, it is the ultimate city of man. In fact, it's really interesting that Babylon actually is, Genesis 11 said this last week, but it is the, the city of Babel. Remember Genesis 11, hum, human beings are living for self, promoting self, right? And trying to learn, like build a, a skyscraper or like a whatever to the, to the sky. And God confuses their language because they begin to focus so much on self. And so God has them leave, isn't it? And so, so God has them leave to go form this holy city, but God never forgot Babel. God never forgot the people who didn't know him and were far off. So the redemptive work to God is always to go back and bring salvation. So he takes this people who hate the Babylonians and says, You've lost sight in your selfishness of your call to lead them to me because you were so focused on self. You've lost sight of me, what I'm passionate about, and my compassion for them. So I've got to take you back over there because my intention all along is to save those who are far off from me. So I'm taking you back to Babel. That's a big deal. It's a big deal, right? And so in this... The values of the city contrast absolutely with those of the city of God and the people of God. They are the epitome of a lost nation, a people who are distant and far from God. So in this moment, what do the Israelites do? They wolverine it. They begin to protest. They begin to revolt, right? Trying to get out from their oppression, to return to freedom. And so they have these prophets over here, Hananiah being the primary one. And they're like, prophesy to us. Tell us what we want to hear. Tell us that God's going to fight for us. Tell us that we should go back. And he's like, yes, right? And yeah, yeah, we should do this. So they begin to prophesy falsely that God's going to return them to Jerusalem within two years. And that Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, their king who had fled in fear, would come back and begin to reign and rule because God was with them. And then Jeremiah, 
said, dude, mm-mm, mm-mm. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Verse 15 of chapter 28 says, The Lord has not sent you, Hananiah, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. And within six months, he was dead. Let's talk about discipline, right? I mean, I got spanked a little bit as a kid, and that never happened to me, praise God, right? No, I mean, this is like heavy stuff. God takes seriously people who speak on his behalf. I'll say that again. Everybody pay attention. God speaks, man, God takes very serious those who speak on his behalf. Woe to the churches of today who live Focusing their entire message and energy around self-help and making someone feel better about themselves. And telling God just wants them to be happy and to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's all he wants from them. And there's no actual sense of calling outside of self and a death to sin in their life. I'm just saying, woe to those who are preaching a false gospel today. Man. Hananiah, man, was speaking to their fleshly desires do you know people who do that? It was a popular message, Jeremiah. Let's just be honest. Jeremiah was not real popular, right? Because Jeremiah's coming and saying, hey, listen, guys, you're going to be here 70 years because of your sin. And in fact, what God wants you to do while you're here is to take the, take the commies and he wants you to bless them. I mean, he wants you to give the best of your energies to bless them because the idea is simple. If they can be blessed, they can be blessed while you're in their presence and they will begin to ask why are we being blessed? Maybe it's because of the Israelites who were with us. And what is it about them that's so unique? Well, it's the worship of their God. And so I want to ultimately lead them kind of steps to the reality that I'm for them, that I am their God and to bring salvation. But it requires first that you receive your discipline and that you stop revolting and that you actually listen So why is all hell breaking loose in my life? And maybe it's because of the consequences of my own sin and not turning back to God when he's been trying to get me to turn back to him over the years. And so God kind of said, well, here are your consequences. I love you too much. Let you fall off the edge into the ravine and die spiritually. So I will discipline you to awaken you because you missed your calling, which is a compassion and a passion for the lost. There we go, right? So this is what's happening in Jeremiah 29. It's just good times, right? It's good times. Hananiah, well, he just missed it, so he died. And so the danger, the danger is that of verse 8, that is those who were called to lead spiritually, they were not building compassion. They were building division. They were not building compassion. They were building Division. They were leading the Israelites to separation from those who needed him the most. They were leading them from separation from a life with the lost. And just having relationship with one another. So they were leading to separation rather than relationship. Let's just do this for a second. Let's just put this story into the New Testament realm. Like a lot of us don't like the Old Testament because it seems old. We like old, we like new things, right? So let's put it in the realm of the New Testament for a second. We all love the New Testament. We love Jesus, right? And so we love the New Testament. So Jesus, 
Jesus takes his disciples one day and he goes to the house of the Babylonians. Let's just call them the worst of the worst of their culture, tax collectors and prostitutes. And he says, oh, Pharisees and Sadducees, let's see over here. You're teaching everybody to separate from the unholy people, from those who you're teaching people to separate from the dirty people. You're teaching people to separate from the Babylonians. Let me tell you something. Let me just quote Jesus here. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Pharisees, Sadducees, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Do you know that prostitutes, do you know that tax collectors call Jesus their best friend? Like, let's just, like, just for a second, like, who, who are the Babylonians in our culture? Who are the prostitutes and the tax collectors to the evangelical church in America today? Who are the people who feel most ostracized, left out, and disconnected? Is it the homosexual community? Do you think that maybe it's those who are in refugees and who are separated and left out? Do you recognize that Jesus isn't real concerned with our political agendas? He's only aware of the kingdom of God. His agenda of salvation for people? I mean, Bono said it well about 10 years ago. He says, Jesus came today. I think he would not be hanging out with our churches, but probably hanging out with the homosexuals and the forgotten of our community. The ones the church is ostracized and put out here on the edges. Because Jesus says, well, they're my best friends. They're the people I give myself to. Why? Because it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And the idea is this real simple, right? Then you just bring it back on a much, maybe on a personal scale. Like, who's part of your life that you deem, in the context of your personal community and culture, who do you deem as the furthest away from God, the, the least, the least loved, the most distant, the most disenfranchised? Who are those people? Like, I kind of went extreme for a moment. Some of you like, oh, where's he going, right? I just bring it back to yourself. I mean, that's what speakers do. They do the shock thing to bring you back to think through stuff, right? I want you to think. Who are the people in your life? Who do you put on the outskirts that are the Babylonians that God has a passion and a compassion for that we can't see because we're so self-focused that all we do is Christian care and we create a Christian ghetto with people who aren't sick and don't need, need, listen, we don't need more Jesus. Jesus would leave you to save one. That's what he would do. Please come back to vintage because we need this. Don't leave and I'm like, oh, it's so uncomfortable. I want someone to tell me I'm awesome. So did the Israelites. And God killed that prophet. I'm not willing to be that guy, right? So here's the point. God wants to bring the Israelites into captivity. He wants them to suffer in this moment to awaken them from their sin. 
their self-absorbed life. He wants to capture their hearts. Right? He wants to capture their hearts in return, yes. To reestablish inside of them this covenant relationship and a compassion and a passion for what he is compassionate and passionate about. That's what he's doing here. He wants to awaken you. To be honest. And to go, who are the ones that make me most uncomfortable? That's probably the ones I'm called to. Right? This is how he works. It's really interesting. It's actually the language of Jonah. Jonah. You all know the story of Jonah. Jonah was, uh, quote, unquote, hesitant to go preach to the Ninevites. All right? God said, go preach to the Ninevites. And what does he do? He hops on a boat the exact opposite direction. And so God says, well, you're in sin, so let me discipline you. Throws him off a boat and puts him in the belly of a whale. That's never happened to me, praise God, right? And so he gets in the belly of a whale, and Jonah has time to think. And so he swims them over and then spits them out on the coast here of Nineveh. And he's like, great, awesome, right? All right, so God, so with no awakening, with no compassion, and no ownership of the Ninevites, he comes into action and preaches a repentance to Nineveh. Like you have to recognize, Nineveh was Babylon. Everybody hated Nineveh. Go do a, do, go do a, a case study on the city of Nineveh. They're terrible. They abused people, right? They were horrible. Like they were the worst of the worst of the worst. They were the Babylon. They were the city of Babel for, in Jonah's day. Nobody wanted to go to Nineveh. Except for Jesus. Except for God. Right? And so he wanted to go, he had like, Jesus wasn't here to go, so he said, so I gotta find my prophet. Hey, there's Jonah. I'll send him. And so he spits him up on the thing. He preaches, right? And what happened in chapter 4, Jonah? You all know. Nineveh repents. They apologize. They go, oh my gosh. We didn't even know what we were doing. And so they said, sorry. What did Jonah do? He got mad. Oh my gosh, God. I was looking forward to destroying the city. Man, that would have been awesome to watch them burn for their sin. And then Jesus, excuse me, God came and I think with like a fatherly tone but compassionate said to Jonah. This is in Jonah 4 verse 11. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals. Like he has, listen, isn't that crazy on one level? It's like he has compassion on the animals that are in the city. He has compassion on his creation. Man, God loves dogs, right? And and cats, and cats, I'm just saying, right? No, God has compassion, but I mean primarily it's compassion for the people. He has compassion for the people. Because he looks at them and says, like this the theology of this real quick. He says they don't know the difference between their right and left hand. They don't even know how to differentiate between what is sin 
and what is not sin. Do you realize that, listen, hear this, please, please hear this. Theologically speaking, you cannot say that God wanted to annihilate this city because he was angry because of their sin. He sent Jonah because it hurt and wounded his heart that people were so far from him, they couldn't even tell the difference between their sin and not sin because they were so blind and he would annihilate them for their own help so they would not continue to give themselves to the hell that they were living in. You should go process that theologically. He's not angry with their sin. He's devastated they're so far from him that they don't know they're right from their left, right from wrong. Psalm 145.9 God has compassion on all he has made. Have you been awakened in his compassion and passion defining your life? Specifically, outside of the four walls of those who are already in the hospital being healed. Are we? An interesting side note for you Bible geeks out there. Do you know there are only two times in all of the Old Testament when God calls prophets to go speak to non-Israelite peoples? Number one, Jonah. And number two, Jeremiah 29. Why is that important? Number one, because it speaks to our New Testament reality. That we are called to live among a people and to leave our four walls and to go to those who don't yet know him, whether it's local or international, and to go and be Jesus and spread the gospel. That's an Old Testament picture in Jonah here in Jeremiah 29. But here's an interesting thing for you to consider, honestly, about, about Jonah and, and Jeremiah. Old Testament theologians, we're looking forward to some, will say this. Why did Jonah, what happened in Jonah chapter, in Jonah, the whole book of Jonah? And, and some Old Testament theologians will tell you, well, God had that happen so that Jeremiah and, and the Israelites would have something to look, look back upon to learn from in their own personal experience. It was a gift to them. You know how it works. How many of you have a problem arise? And what do you do? All of a sudden you go, I haven't read my Bible in three weeks. Let me go find my Bible and see what Jesus has to say about this issue. And I learn this moment of scripture. What would Jesus do? And I go and I read and I take his situation and I create a parallel to my life. So I now know how to respond. And so God, out of his graciousness, had Jonah go in advance to Nineveh, to this, this Babylonian type people, the, the, those who are furthest away from God, and to say, listen, look what Jonah did and how God responded. Don't be like like Jonah, be like God when I carry you into exile so that you will wake up and stop being so self-absorbed and just recognize, man, own your, own your discipline, own your discipline. And then when you go in, man, get compassionate and passionate about what God is compassionate and passionate about. What is he compassionate and passionate about? Well, we see it in Jonah. 
Those who are far off and don't know their left from their right. They don't even know that they're living in brokenness. They don't even ultimately know they're living in sin because they're so far from God and so immune to him. They don't even realize what's going on. How is someone going to turn to the gospel unless someone preaches to them with their lifestyle and with words, right? And so he's coming in the moment and saying, I want to awaken you so that you now have a passion for me. And then you are passionate and compassionate about those who we left a long time ago here in Babel because they need me and I have compassion on them. Wake up and you need to have compassion too because I have brought you to them to be their salvation. If they prosper because you've given yourself to it, then you will prosper. Man, I know it's, God, it's heavy. Woo! All right. I have no idea where I am. Both of these stories speak volumes about God's heart and who he wants his people, the Israelites, and you and me to be. In both stories, God, against their will, calls his children to go to a people who represent the hardest, the most hated, and distant from God people in their generation. He first has to awaken them from selfishness to a God-centeredness of what's on his heart and a compassion and a passion. Compassion. I want you to hear this. If you tuned out, this is a God thing I wrote on earlier. This is from the Lord. Compassion makes difficult work or a difficult calling sustainable. Compassion makes a difficult work or a calling sustainable. What do I mean by that? So I, we, we're called to foster care, right? Like bringing kids into our home. If you've never fostered, it's hard. Like there are moments, like it is a pain in the neck, and you just want to either they need to leave the house or you need to leave the house, Right? When you bring someone into your home who does not respect you, who does not, quote-unquote, fear you in a healthy way, who does not listen to you, doesn't know your family behavior and your family rules, and they're breaking them, and they're calling you cuss words up and down, and they're being mean and rude, and, like, they're throwing stuff because this is what happens because they're so traumatized in life, right? And, and you're just like, duh, right? If I did not recognize an awakening to a true compassion then I would walk away. But because I have been awakened to the situation, I have a knowledge of what they're going through, and I have a real compassion because Jesus does, then it's sustainable because we've owned it, and I will continue to act on their behalf. Without compassion, difficult works and callings are not sustainable. Do you know that the lifespan of missionaries is no more than three years in international missions. And part of it is because people go and there's this awakening and a compassion that, ha- that hasn't quite been birthed, not always, but sometimes, right? There's this hard and it's difficult and without compassion. I'm not saying they should all, like they've missed the Lord. I'm saying, no, they haven't, but it's like, God, you go and it's just so hard. And the only thing that ultimately compels anyone in mission is a compassion and a passion from the Lord that says, even though this feels like I'm walking through hell, 
Jesus, I know that you're passionate about it. And you've given me a compassion. And Lord, I will, and I will ride that until I just can't ride it anymore. Today, let's land squarely on this major point. I'm just about done. You, we are God's people. Right? We are his chosen ones. We are Israel. We are the Jonas. Right? Each of us, all of us, we're at God's disposal to bring about his plans on earth. He can do what he wants to in us because we've given ourselves to him. He partners with us in it. So he can call us to any people at any time. He's called us to do a hard, like he, he's called us to, to a hard and distant uh, people, a generation who's separated from God. Right? We must allow God to first awaken us to the sick that are around us who are in our community, and allow God to fill us with a compassion that will sustain us when loving and serving them is hard. And let me say this very quickly. Everybody hear this. You're not going to like, some of you are not going to like this, and I'm okay with it. I can make a theological argument. You need to make sure that you can on your side. Biblically speaking, I've come to realize when we say you, the you is always the extended spouse and your family. And so you can be selfish about you, and selfish means your spouse and your children. So ministry, right, just ministry in a moment, right, just to my family is not God's primary call. Like God, it is probably God's primary call. You have a call to your family. But he's saying, when I'm calling you to die to yourself, that means you, your spouse, and your children, because there are those outside of your you that need me. And so I'm just telling you, theologically speaking, you means you, your spouse, and your children. Because the idea of ministry, to be honest with you, it's very, it's almost like, it's almost, it's almost uh, inconsequential how many times God calls one individual versus calling an entire people group. And so I'm just telling you, God has not called you to something. He's called you, your spouse, and your children to something. We don't, it's not Randall and I have fosters. It's Randall and I, Anna Catherine, and Sarah. We are one you supporting foster care. That's real. I'm like, ah, I just stepped on toes, I know. But you have to look beyond your family. That's like not even a calling. That's just a responsibility. The calling is outside of you. And that is hard for us. So I encourage you, if I step on your toes, you don't like that, then just say this. Don't come and argue with me. Just prove me wrong through your own biblical study of what that you means in Scripture. And if I'm wrong, I'll get up here Sunday morning and apologize, and I'll give credit to you saying that you were right and I was wrong, honestly. But in this, there's this you outside of self. So in this, here's some questions to consider first on the screen. Are you awake or is God awakening you to his calling to the hardest, most hated and distant from God people in our community? Like when I talk about these people, do you even have like a somewhere on your radar screen what that means? And if you don't, well, praise God that you've kind of awakened to that because you've just bowed down to the idol of self and maybe didn't even realize it. And God's using this morning to awaken you. Thank you, Jesus. Second thing, do you have compassion? This is real similar. Do you have compassion and a passion for those who are, excuse me, who are in need or is your passion primarily focused on self? 
Do you have a compassion for those who are in need or is your passion primarily focused on self? Be honest. Third, have you been captured by God in such a way that you were compelled to look beyond self as a lifestyle? I don't mean moments, but as a lifestyle. And the fourth thing, are you willing to surrender to God's plan for generosity? What I mean by that, God wants us like himself to be a generous people who seek others' prosperity and pray for it. Are we living that lifestyle? Here's the beautiful thing about God. Whoever's leading worship can come forward. Here's the beautiful thing about God. Say, like, but Steve, you just don't understand. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm overwhelmed. I feel depressed. And God has great compassion. I would say the beautiful part about God is this. Man, he can bring healing and restoration at the same time of awakening you to calling. Is this how he works? It's just how it works. Some people, man, they spend their whole life. Well, I, just have myself, I have to get myself right. I have to get myself right. I have to get myself right. And they're 15 years down the road. Because I don't know if you know this or not. But you don't ever quite reach perfection until heaven. So there's always things you're going into. And always things you're wrestling with. Now it's like, man, God's saying, no, 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 no. Let me awaken you in the whole process of this. Is I'm going to awaken calling. I'm going to awaken passion and compassion. And I'm going to bring restoration and healing. Which is exactly what was happening in Jeremiah 29. Do you realize that? It was the worst season ever of their lives. It was the most overwhelming, the most angry, the most frustrated, and the most depressed that they had ever been as a people group, at least in their lifetime. And so God brings them and says, root yourself in me. At the same time, let me awaken my compassion and passion for those who are hurting and lost in Babylon. Because in reality, you're not going to hell than they are. And it's a little bit bigger than your stuff. I just want to help you create perspective of self. So you're not just self-absorbed. I want to release you from the idol of self. To be honest about where you need healing and find it in the context of your awakening to the passion and the compassion of Jesus. It's what I tried to do in Jonah. It's what I'm doing in Jeremiah 29. And it was simply the expression of Jesus' life. The same, bro, it ain't you who needs me. It's a them. Let's pray. Father, I, you know, what he's going to get done. I'm like, oh, man, that's going to make sense. And Lord, I pray right now, if anybody feels really beat up or condemned in Jesus' name, I just release that off of them. Lord, that's not my heart and my intention, so I pray it would land that way. God, we just we recognize you're rooting us in our community because somebody has to be different. And someone has to be a light in darkness. And someone has to be willing to leave the four walls to go to people because they're never going to come to us without someone walking with them. And so, God, would you make us awesome at awakening and rooting ourselves in Jesus and being loved powerfully and mightily by him in the context of our relationship with him. And then God, we're asking and for those who aren't ready to ask for this, I pray you make them ready. We pray God that you would truly awaken us with your compassion and your passion for the Babels, the Babylonians, for the Ninevites, for the prostitutes, for the tax collectors of our world. 
And Lord, we just pray, would you make us awesome at being best friends with the very ones the church has done the best at pushing away. And may Vintage be a place where those call us friends. That we would create a place, Lord, where people can belong and believe before they have to believe, before they have to behave. Thank you, Jesus. That's the testimony of the disciples and Peter. You gave a place for belonging, a place for belief, even when they were being complete idiots. And I just pray you do it for us, God, because we confess we're awesome at doing idiots, and we need your help. And we just ask for grace. Have your way, Jesus. Amen. All right. So I want to invite you to respond this morning. First and foremost, I just want to invite you where you are in your seat, maybe just to pray and say, God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Awaken me. All these types of things. Have these questions. You can ponder them. Ministry teams will be available on both sides. And all they want to do is just come alongside and pray with you. Because there are some of you who say, God, Steve, I get it. I want to be compassionate and passionate. But I'm just so overwhelmed in this moment. I need God to bring healing and breakthrough so that I can move forward. Man, we love you. We have compassion like the Father does. And we want to pray for you. We have communion available. We have gluten-free crackers now, yay, right? And we want to invite you to come and take communion this morning. What happens when you take communion? God reawakens and helps us to reimagine again his great love affection for us through, the, through his body broken and his blood poured out. And just ask God to awaken me again to your love and passion for me. And, of course, our offering baskets are right here, which is for our expression of worship, giving back to the Lord what he's so graciously given us. So it's late. I went long. Sorry, I'm not really. Have a great week. We love you. Focus on Jesus this week. And those of you in a small group, enjoy yourself. We'll see you next week.